Welcome to Two Bees in a Podcast, brought to you by the Honeybee Research and Extension Laboratory at the University of Florida's Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences. It is our goal to advance the understanding of honeybees and beekeeping, grow the beekeeping community, and improve the health of honeybees everywhere. In this podcast, you'll hear research updates, beekeeping management practices discussed, and advice on beekeeping from our resident experts, beekeepers, scientists, and other program guests. Join us for today's program, and thank you for listening to Two Bees in a Podcast. Listeners, I want to thank you for joining us on Two Bees in a Podcast. We really have a special episode today. You know, Amy and I have been recording our podcast from our respective closets because of the COVID issue that we're facing, and we just want to spend some time talking about COVID, its, its potential impacts on the beekeeping industry. I want to say from the front end that it's important to know that we, we really don't know where this is all headed. We don't know the ultimate impacts this is having on our industry or will have on our industry. We're only getting snippets of information kind of coming our way with regard to COVID and its impact on beekeeping and beekeepers really around the world. But I know this is an important topic. It's a timely topic. And we just wanted to start releasing bits of information that we are hearing. And so in today's episode, we're going to be interviewing two guests. One of those individuals will be Jason Mathis, who's from the Florida Farm Bureau. We're also interviewing Tony Hogg, who's a, who's a beekeeper here in Florida and also the chair of the Apiary Advisory Committee for the Florida Farm Bureau. Because these guys are kind of on the ground and they're hearing about these issues. And, and it's going to give uh, me and Amy an opportunity to expand on some of their comments. It's going to give us an opportunity to share with you what we're hearing and hopefully, you know, give you a pep talk as we all face this issue together. You know, we're one world addressing this virus issue that's impacting us in so many different ways. So it is my hope, it's my desire that you get something out of today's podcast episode that will be of value to you as a beekeeper. And if anything else, that will give you hope. You know, I'm an optimist. We're going to pull through this. Beekeeping is going to be okay, but it may be different. So it's going to be interesting to hear Jason's perspective, Tony's perspective, Amy's comments, my comments as we kind of face this thing head on. So thank you so much for joining us. And, and I look forward to sharing with you the information that we're able to provide today. So if you've been listening to our podcast here for any length of time, you'll know that Amy and I have had to, you know, start recording some of these things from our home. I'm in my closet at the moment. I know Amy's in her closet. At I'm the in moment my closet. <laughs> the dogs are here. <laughs> yeah, she told me before we signed on today, she had to bring the dogs in there with her. Otherwise, <laughs> they would bark at squirrels going past her house while yeah. she's trying to record this too. Am I right, Amy? That's right. 100% right. <laughs> kind of embarrassing. I do the opposite. I throw my kids outside so that if they're screaming, <laughs> I can't hear them. Nevertheless, um, the reason we're in our respective closets, of course, is because we're having to record during a time where COVID-19 is, is impacting um, us specifically, but also really everyone in the world. A lot of us are on lockdown. We had to work from home. And that's affected everybody. Every time I talk to someone, a family member, a friend, and ask them how they're doing, you know, I say, you know, tell me how you're doing, but don't tell me all the stuff that's affecting all of the rest of us otherwise, right? Because we're all working from home. We're all restricted. So that really kind of gave Amy and, 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 and me pause to think about how is COVID affecting beekeepers? I've, I've been asked by that, that question by a lot of beekeepers from around the world. How is it affecting our beekeepers in the state? And I think we have a wonderful opportunity to discuss that very issue with the two guests that we have on Two Bees in a Podcast today. The first of those is Jason Mathis, 
He's the assistant director of ag policy for the Florida Farm Bureau. And he's on this podcast because the Florida Farm Bureau listens to and contacts and is in touch with all the ag commodity representatives across the state of Florida. So his ears close to the ground, he knows what's going on. And we've also brought in Tony Hogg, who himself is a beekeeper, but he's here today because he's the chair of the Florida Farm Bureau Apiary Advisory Committee. He's also former president of the Florida State Beekeepers Association. And I know for you listeners out there that you're hearing the words Florida a lot, but I promise that even though Jason and Tony and I and myself and Amy are from Florida, this is something that's relevant to all beekeepers on planet Earth. We're all, they're all impacted by COVID, and we're going to talk about how that looks specifically in our state, maybe in our nation, to kind of give you an idea of how our industry's been impacted and how beekeepers are responding. Jason and Tony, thank you guys for joining us today to talk about this very sensitive and timely topic. Yeah, appreciate you having us on today. Thank you for inviting us. Yeah, guys. So, you know, I'll just get straight to it. You know, Amy and I have made some notes here. We've kind of thought about broad categories related to bees and beekeeping. And I'm just going to, you know, start off at, at the very first one. What are you guys hearing about the impact of COVID, the coronavirus, on the pollination uh, part of our, our industry? Sure. And uh, I'll, I'd just like to say, you know, appreciate uh, you guys having us on. And, and, and like Jamie said, with Florida Farm Bureau, we have a lot of connections with people across the state. And uh, I spoke with a beekeeper uh, about two weeks ago. And an issue that, that he brought up was um, that they are starting to experience a failure to pay on pollination contracts. Um, and, and as they get ready to move their bees north in our state, um, that he's had people that have given him a call that have uh, outright canceled uh, crop pollination. And so this is something that we are uh, absolutely concerned about. We understand from the row crop producer that they're concerned about if there's going to be a market for them to sell their crops. But we understand, too, that this is a critical source of income for our beekeepers and a critical step in our food production and so this is something that we're really wanting to, to keep an eye on and making sure that people within our state uh, people within our um, farm bureau membership that uh, reaching out to them and hoping that they're giving us any kind of information on what they're experiencing related to to this issue yeah so for those of you out there trying to figure out why this would be an issue jason you, you really kind of hit the nail on the head here our university of florida administrators particularly in the branch of the university where i am ifas the institute of food and agricultural sciences they've been giving us updates on reports from growers you know they don't have a market for their vegetables because you know restaurants are closed some of their fresh market options are not available so a lot of them are just tilling their crops under and you would say to yourself well you know the beekeepers have already been there and pollinated so they've they've done their thing it's not going to affect the beekeepers but in reality it does because they may not get paid for the pollination services they rendered weeks earlier or moving forward some growers may say hey we don't anticipate a market for our crops so we're not going to have beekeepers come in in the first place to provide pollination. Tony, are you hearing something similar with regard to pollination impact? Similar, quite similar to that. Uh, uh, you know, we, we've uh, not heard of any uh, beekeepers not being compensated for their pollination, but uh, uh, a lot of growers are looking at, at what they're doing. They're questioning whether or not they're going to plant. Uh, 
where I'm at in North Florida, we, we don't have the extent of pollination that you would see in South Florida. So we, were, uh, we did pretty good uh, with blueberries, uh, but the blueberry growers are now looking there about three weeks out from uh, the berries being ripe and they don't know if they're gonna have the uh, a market farm. Uh, most of these are you pick operations and they don't know if they're gonna be able to do this uh, and practice social distancing. I mean, that's, uh, so that's incredibly scary if you think about it. There's a couple of things at play. It's, the, it's food availability, number one, but number two, since this is a beekeeper podcast and you guys are interested in beekeeping as am I, this is a huge segment of our industry, the pollination segment, right? This is how a lot of commercial beekeepers make their money. And so while we haven't necessarily seen huge impacts so far, you know, it's, it's not unreasonable to expect some impacts. Absolutely. And, and our uh, concern of ours, you know, when we hear news like this that comes out is when we start to come out of this, what what kind of food availability are we going to have mm -hmm. at that point with the producers that you know, have canceled their crops or like tony said have, have plowed them under so that's a that's a real concern of what kind of supply is going to be available whenever we come out of this um you know and they've they've started some programs to you know, three billion of the money that was released uh, from the usda was going to go to a food procurement program that was going to try to donate this food to food banks um, but, you know, with a lot of the way that they've structured it, these specific food boxes, you know, the way that it's, it's set up is it's almost for uh, an individual um, farmer or, or uh, somebody that's got the production ability to put a diversity of products within this one box and have the ability to transport that to these food banks. So that cuts out a lot of people that are specific to one crop here and one crop here that that you know you can't just have a, a a box of celery you know that's not what they're looking for they're looking for somebody that can add fruit so we're we're trying to work with them and make sure that they're understanding that you know maybe we can send all this stuff to a general location and have it pre-packaged or repackaged so that we can get some of these crops out and get a little bit of uh, assistance back to these farmers that are losing losing so much on on crops that are just uh, rotten in the field yeah, so you know what's really interesting about this is I've I've been I've been getting a little frustrated at some people who seem to think that they know the answer, you know, the quick and easy answer to fixing this. And and I just wanted to say that it's it's our food system is just so much more complicated than I think people realize. Um, and you know, just because farmers are tilling their crop center does not mean that that they're doing it, you know, because they want to do that, right? I mean, nobody's going to grow their crop because they want to do that. So that's I think that's something that's really important is that you know, we can all point fingers and say, hey, you know, th these, there are hungry people out there and we shouldn't be wasting food. But again, it, it gets pretty complicated. Um, with that, you know, pollination is a huge thing with, with beekeepers and honeybees in general. And that's, again, where the commercial beekeepers make most of their income. But we could talk about this for the rest of the day, but I'm going to move forward and we're going to talk about honey for a little bit. And I wanted to talk about honey production and maybe honey sales, you know, as far as the impacts that you guys have heard about um, with restaurants closing, schools closing, you know, we have Disney World here and Universal in Florida, and I'm sure that they have had a huge impact, you know, on the, the beekeepers that they're selling or buying from. Have you guys heard about anything with honey production or honey sales? Well, you know, you know Florida, it, it, geographically, Florida is a, is a unique place. Uh, we normally produce uh, most of the honey here in Florida well before 
beekeepers in the rest of the country well before their bees even come out of cluster. Uh, so beekeepers in Florida have been extremely busy since uh, the first of the year, mm -hmm. uh, uh, preparing bees or getting them in, into honey production. Uh, and so you know, during the whole COVID uh, issue, I mean, beekeepers have been out in the field working. Uh, a lot of jokes and comments made up how about how beekeepers have invented social distancing because what most of what we do is, is quite a, <laughs> a bit away from everybody. Uh, so honey production goes on. We, 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 we do have uh, uh, honey production and, and depending on where you are in the state, whether you're having a good production year or not, uh, uh, remains to be seen. Uh, sales, sales are way off. Uh, uh, a lot of the smaller producers that uh, produce honey and, and, and they rely on farmers markets uh, uh, and local markets to sell. Uh, there's the farmer markets are shut down so they, they don't have they don't have a, an outlet uh, uh, restaurants are shut down so that some of your some of your larger consumers are, are not there uh, if you have a local outlet for, for honey the sales have been pretty strong at least what we're seeing here in North Florida that's what I hear. And it's because, is it, do you think it's because people think that it's healthier for them? And so they're trying to kind of boost their immune system, buying honey so that they can consume it and be healthier. I think, I think it's just, <laughs> Did I just make that up? Honey, 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 honey is just, it, 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 it's just, it's, it's, it's a feel good thing to eat. Yeah, I, don't, that's, I, don't, that's I don't know if I don't know if they're purchasing based on, on, on health concerns or not. Amy, yeah. it's funny you say that, but some of the feedback I got from some of the national individuals, I asked this question to about what, what's the deal with honey production. A few of uh -huh. them said that there was a, a recent spike in sales and maybe even price. And, I don't, and again, it's hard to verify this on a short short term sure. and long term it may not be there but because there was some internet um fake news going around saying that honey would cure you from covid and so there was <laughs> a quick spike in the sales and so so does injecting clorox wipes but yeah, well, continue inject some sunshine and inject clorox <laughs> we'll all be okay well, I, I obviously probably probably what drives a lot of this uh is that it has made many people kind of reassess and look at look at the food systems and really look closely at maybe I need to be buying local food and not mm -hmm. just honey, but, but everything. Yeah. So, so mm -hmm. we see, we, we're seeing a big demand uh, for local food being produced here. Uh, and I think that is, 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 is driven a lot of that because people are now starting to look, look inwards and say, sure. I need to support local. I need, I need, I need to buy local local food sources. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's Tony. I think that's an interesting statement. One of the things that I think is going to be interesting through all this COVID issue that we're facing is what is it going to look like on the other side? I mean, we could talk about that for days, but you know, you mentioned there an example of maybe moving towards local produce or whatever. I just sometimes wonder what what will beekeeping look like on the other side of that? Maybe not different. You just said that they beekeepers invented social distancing, so maybe not much will change, but what will, what will change? I do think there'll be some things changed for beekeeping but i'll mention that later when we get to that question but but before i get there you know if you're if you're a listener and you're a beekeeper beekeeping is hard work especially when you start accumulating colonies and you move to that sideline or commercial level and so beekeepers need access to labor especially commercial beekeepers who are moving bees or extracting honey and 
So Jason, Tony, I'm wondering if you guys can comment on anything you're hearing about labor related issues in the beekeeping world. You know, the H2A visa that, that a lot of people use to, to bring on seasonal help in their beekeeping operations. Yeah, some of the beekeepers I've spoken to, uh, I mean, they, they've addressed this. Uh, the H2A labor, you know, primarily for the, for the much larger uh, beekeeping operations, the ones that got their labor in before all the restrictions came into place are in pretty good shape. The ones that are uh, that did not get their labor in, they're they're start, they're hurting for labor right now. Yeah, and and we've got somebody specific within our office that deals with this, so he would definitely know more about it than I do. But I know that that is a primary concern of ours is to make sure that we've got access to temporary or seasonal uh, labor. Um, I know that some people within our environmental horticulture um, section have been concerned about with the shutdowns and with their loss of income, how those workers fall into uh, some of these payment protection plans that have come out uh, on making sure that you're paying some of these, these workers and they're trying to make sure that they're, they're uh, dotting their I's and crossing their T's and making sure that they're doing things the right way. So it's a, it's a big concern. And, and, you know, we're hoping that uh, different agencies will work with us and, and make sure that they're listening to our farmers. We encourage our farmers all the time to call into their legislators uh, to make sure that they're giving real examples of how they're being affected by not having access to reliable uh, to a reliable workforce. And that's something that, that we'll continue to work on. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about labor access, you know, there are definitely issues with that, but I'm wondering about equipment access as well. Do you think beekeepers are having a hard time with equipment or, you know, are they still able to purchase equipment and have them shipped, you know, to wherever they need? I don't think there's a sh particular shortage of equipment. Uh, a lot of what we're seeing, uh, is a time lag on getting equipment, uh, uh, shipping, shipping stuff out. Uh, we had an order, one order of supplies. We waited almost a month uh, to, to get them. Oh, wow. uh, so, so that, that uh, you know, if you're not planning ahead, you can sign yourself uh, caught up in a corner with, mm -hmm. with, uh, with getting that. The equipment's there. A lot of it is just a transport uh, and delivery. So I, I've not, I've not heard of any, true uh, equipment access issues. That's good. That's a good thing. Yeah, I, I haven't heard anything either. Like Tony said, every everything's moving so slow. My brother called a couple days ago and asked if a package that he had sent my oldest son, whose birthday was a couple weeks ago, if we had got it. And uh, so everything's moving slow. Um, like Tony said, we hope that there wasn't anybody that was behind on their orders that is struggling right now. Um, but you know, if we hear of any of those cases, then we'll try to work with the people that we, you know, have access to and see if we can get any equipment to them that they're needing. Yeah. That equipment access question kind of came up early on when in the U S uh, first couple of weeks of COVID there was a mad rush on sugar. And so I immediately worried that beekeepers may not have access to that, but I've, I've, I've not just, I've just not heard those reports. Like Tony said, the issue tends to be not the availability it's just the timely access to it so let's let's talk about you know, we start we start we you know we started the year off with a going into the year you know uh, with a worldwide sugar shortage uh, we all were expecting to see the price of sugar you know go through the roof 
one of the suppliers I spoke with several weeks ago uh, gave a, a pretty interesting analogy. He says, there's not a, we don't have a problem getting sugar now because uh, all of the sports venues have been canceled and <laughs> nobody's drinking Coke Colas. That's so funny. I was actually thinking like it's the equivalent of toilet paper, right? <laughs> so I just have a big important question to deal with here. Why would nobody drink Coke? I mean, that's like the thing I'd take to my grave with me if I had to. Anyway, move, moving on. I'm, I'm clearly a Georgia boy in Coca-Cola's headquartered in Georgia. So anyway, got to move on. So we talked about pollination, honey production, labor. We talked about access to equipment. Early on, when COVID was first coming out and there were travel restrictions, et cetera, I was, I was hearing some beekeeper concern about being able to move bees. Obviously, commercial beekeeping in the U.S. is incredibly migratory. You got to move to honey flows. You got to move for pollination purposes. And there was some restricted movement. Can you guys speak about the, the ease or lack thereof beekeepers have had with, with moving bees during this time? Jason, have you had any issues with that? I, I've not. I've not heard of any any difficulties uh, with moving bees. No, I, I haven't. And you know, we were um, uh, encouraged uh, early on in this that um, our Department of Transportation here in Florida issued some different uh, certificates, making sure that um, people had access that if they were in that critical and essential. Um, category that they were going to be able to carry on and, uh, and handle their business as needed. So there was emergency road use permits that were issue, issued. There were weight and size restrictions that were were lifted for them to be able to transport. Um, there was a uh, critical infrastructure certification that uh, some of our workers would be able to carry with them just as an extra form of identification that they were within an industry that was deemed critical and essential for them to carry out uh, their business. So we hope that that has been something that's been helpful since early on, very early on when this started happening and we worked to try to get those, those certificates available or some of those um, uh, restrictions lifted. I haven't heard anything further on it. So I, I hope that it's working and that, you know, that, that everybody's able to do what they need to do. Yeah, I think it's pretty amazing how great Farm Bureau has actually been, you know, as far as getting resources out as quickly as possible um, to beekeepers, you know, growers and everyone else. So I think that's that's pretty amazing what you guys do. Um, so I applaud you for that. So I, I guess, appreciate it. yeah, um, another question that I had was about beekeeping meetings. And so Jamie, you might be able to answer this one, but I know a lot of beekeeper meetings have kind of been canceled. So I don't know if that is the same around yeah, the I mean, I mean, that's, I mean, that's a great comment. One of the things that beekeepers are telling me is that their lives haven't changed much otherwise, except their access to other beekeepers. And it's funny because, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, part of what I do is extension, which means I have to teach beekeepers. And I've been using online training, uh, uh, softwares, for example, Zoom or Canvas or um, Skype, other things like that, to deliver beekeeping presentations around the world. In fact, I, I have given presentations literally all over the place where beekeepers would join in on Zoom. So we've, we've been doing this out of our lab for a while, and I know a few of our colleagues have. But obviously, too, I have a tremendously packed travel schedule where I go and speak it. All of that's been canceled the past six weeks and into the foreseeable future. So in response, beekeeper groups that had lacked belief in online technologies 
are beginning to gain belief in online technologies and are flocking to Zoom meetings. Um, I could go on for days about examples, but what you'll very quickly realize is it's much easier to reach way more beekeepers online than it is face-to-face -face meetings. And I know that we we kind of serve a serve a constituency that prefers face-to-face -face meetings. That's okay. But generally speaking, as the younger group moves up, you're going to see more and more and more beekeeper meetings being conducted virtually. I mean, where I, where I could travel all day to 20 beekeepers, you know, in one evening, that's great. Or I could sit in my, li my living room, <laughs> in this case, my closet, and broadcast the thousands of beekeepers who are able to join. So I think coming out of this, we're going to see a huge uh, adoption and utilization of online training technologies for the various local, state, national, and international bee clubs. In fact, I've already been invited to speak to one of the two national U.S. organizations specifically about how to use distance technologies uh, for, for training beekeepers. So I think that that's going to be interesting as we see beekeepers move to online technologies more and more. Well, with Jason and Tony, are, have you guys always kind of called in, you know, during your meetings or have you always met in person? Have you all been affected at all as far as the meetings that you typically have? Yeah, uh, Florida Farm Bureau is very, um, sticks very close to tradition. And those traditions have always been face-to-face -face meetings, mm -hmm. um, you know, with, with people, with our members um, and having, having that personal relationship with them and sitting down with them. Um, sure. You know, and I think through this, our, our president has done a great job. Um, our president of Florida Farm Bureau has done a great job of realizing the amount of work that you're able to get done from home, you know, mm -hmm. and, and the contacts that you can still have. And, you know, we're in this digital age where you've got access to so many different people and you can get information so quickly that maybe some of those face-to-face -face meetings aren't completely necessary you know, <laughs> yeah. right right now i'm dying to be in a group of people <laughs> and just sit down and i want to talk to everybody next time i'm at work I'm, and i'm riding the elevator i'm saying hey to everybody <laughs> that gets on the elevator yeah but um i understand you know like jamie said it is this is a great resource and you can get the opinions and the thoughts of so many people in a concentrated time uh, that I think this is really going to open this experience is really going to open people's eyes to the ability to, to host meetings and get some, some work accomplished. I'm probably going to, going to date myself here, uh, <laughs> but, but you know, and no, I, I agree with that. You, you, you can, you can reach a lot more people. You, you can put a lot of information out there. Uh, where a challenge though I still see is especially as we try to encourage beekeeping and teach beekeeping to, to beginners. Uh, the, I think it's still important to have the ability to, to that you meet face to face, that you can mm -hmm. ask the questions, uh, you can do the demonstrations that you can see that it's just, I don't think uh, virtual meetings will ever re replace that. Sure, I agree, I agree with that. Well, there's, there's a topic I want to segue into that, that I really haven't heard discussed much and wonder if you guys have an opinion on. What about employee safety? I know, Tony, you mentioned earlier this idea that beekeepers naturally social distance, but there are times where crews go out into a field. And so what are, what are beekeepers doing to keep their employees safe 
during this time of social distancing and not riding together in cabs and personal protective equipment, et cetera. Have you guys heard anything on that? Well, obviously employee safety is, is, is number one uh, in any business operation. Um, uh, I, other than that, you know, I, I can't speak to, I don't know of any beekeepers that are practicing social distancing to the extent of traveling in separate vehicles or, or, or anything. Jason, you have anything on that? No, I haven't. And, and you know, like, like uh, Amy said, when this all started, you know, there was such a shortage of personal protection equipment that I know that, you know, people were really trying to uh, practice social distancing and making sure that they were uh, trying to keep themselves safe. And I hope that as that equipment has become more readily available, um, that, you know, people are have access to it, they're able to use it. Um, to continue to do the work that they need to do, but I haven't heard of any specific examples. I know that within some of our other industries, there have been some documents that have come out, some uh, posters that they've been required mm. uh, to put up to make sure that they are following the correct protocol for you know, their workers, that these, these posters need to be posted uh, in a central location where everybody has access to it. And it kind of lays out what the guidelines need to be for um, equipment that they need or hand washing stations, whatever, whatever those uh, guidelines are. Um, but I haven't heard anybody have a specific problem uh, as far as, as that. Well, I think Gosh. one key thing I think one key thing to mention is you know beekeepers you just need to be safe. You need to do what's necessary for you and your employees to make sure that you're safe while you're working under these conditions. I mean, obviously, beekeeping has to consider safety anyway because we have to wear bee suits or gloves or veils to protect ourselves from stings. But now there's this added layer of issue that we have to address, and you just need to be mindful about it. I know there's a lot of resources online with regard to making sure that you and your team members are safe. So I would just make sure that you, you, you recommend that you guys follow those whenever possible, make sure that, that your employees are safe during this time. Mm -hmm. So do you guys have any general, do you guys have any general advice for beekeepers? One of the things that I would just say, you know, was talking with one of our staff members and as, as we start to try to figure out where some of this relief or assistance money is going to come from for for us here you know we, we think it's going to be um fsa uh, within the department of usda um, is we would just urge all beekeepers to uh, make sure that they are keeping records um, of everything that they're experiencing. Um, if you have missed out on, on, a, on an event because of COVID, if you have missed out on a farmer's market, if you have missed out on some, you know, other source of income, um, keep records of that. Make sure that you're comparing last year's records to this year, making sure that you're, you're keeping those records, any source of revenue in the past that's zeroed out this year, you know, I would make sure that I would mark that down. Um, as I, I know when it, when the time comes that FSA, if they are the, um, the organization, the agency that will be handling um, this aspect that I know that they would appreciate that information and I'm hoping that it would make it easier for those individuals that have kept good records to get assistance or to get relief uh, in a more timely timely manner. Sure and even I mean even if people aren't being directly affected right now 
you know, I, I would say that it would probably still be a good idea to document everything going on as is, because who knows what could happen, you know, the next couple of months or even the next year or two, because I, I don't think that COVID's just going to go over. I think, you know, there are probably going to be some, some pretty long-term effects. That's, a, that's an important point, and beekeepers uh, or any farmer sh should be planning ahead, should be prepared uh, as these programs open up, and same as we, same as we saw with the uh, Paycheck Protection Plan or some of the other programs. As soon as they opened up, uh, they were overloaded pretty quickly, so if you have all of your ducks in a row, you're prepared. Once these programs open up, you want to be in there just as quickly as you can and by having all of your your documentation uh at hand uh your process is going to be much smoother mm -hmm. yeah those are great points so if i can summarize that just to make sure that our beekeepers hear that number one take great notes document everything so that you can know what is happening in your operation number two you want to plan ahead you want to make sure that you you are ready when these calls for assistance come out or when you're having to purchase something or, or trying to secure labor and also you want to let your legislators or farm bureau or other similar groups know the issues that you are having make your voice heard so that people can know that you are needing help so i want to conclude with that question to this question to you guys kind of as we wrap up this discussion about COVID and the impacts on the beekeeping industry in the U.S. and abroad, what are some resources that you guys are aware of that are available to assist beekeepers at this time? Yeah, so one of, one of the things that, you know, we saw right off the bat was lack of access to two different markets. And so okay. we worked with our Department of Agriculture, um, and they have come up with a Florida Farm to You program. And this is through our Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services, and they've created a website for producers and consumers and businesses to purchase Florida products. Um, this web page that's on their, their main site, producers can actually go on there, post information regarding available commodities that can be accessed by the public. They can put on there how much they're willing to sell them for, they can put on there they're willing to donate them, and this will be a, you know, hopefully this will be a great resource for uh, consumers, for businesses in the state um, to be able to see what's available. You know, Tony mentioned earlier about local access, you know, what they can, what they can see that's available uh, in their local communities uh, that they can take advantage of and, and provide to, to their customers. So I think that is, you know, a great, a great resource. Um, for our producers here in Florida. And, um, you know, hopefully uh, that's something that, that people will be able to take advantage of moving forward. Beekeepers should certainly be looking at their, their state organizations and, and their local organizations uh, uh, because we are a small segment of the ag industry. Uh, but when we work together, uh, we can have a much louder voice in beekeeping issues. Uh, and I think that is a very important uh, thing that all beekeepers should consider. Absolutely. You know, one of the problems that's happening right now with COVID is there's such a huge flush of information. It's just kind of hard to sort through all the stuff that you're being bombarded by. But I would argue here in the States, your Farm Bureau Agency, your state's Farm Bureau Agency will be up to date on it. The national, state, and local beekeeper clubs, Tony, like you mentioned, I would emphasize what Jason just said as well, your state departments of agriculture, as well as the federal government, at least in our case here in the state, 
We'll be producing information relevant to, to growers in general, but hopefully beekeepers specifically. You might also consider contacting your land grant or similar university. They're responsible for extension in your state and they might have information related to COVID resources for you. And of course, you can look inwardly at your beekeeper groups, but you might also consider contacting your grower groups as well. Because if, if for example, a fruit and vegetable association has information for their growers and you provide pollination services for those fruits and vegetables, there might be some relevant information for you there. We'll try to put some of this information in our show notes for this particular episode, but I just wanna thank uh, Jason Mathis from the Florida Farm Bureau and Tony Hogg, who's the chair of the Florida Farm Bureau Apiary Advisory Committee and beekeeper here in Florida for joining us during this time of COVID. Guys, I really appreciate all this information that you were able to share. And, I, and I'm hopeful and optimistic that this is going to be helpful to beekeepers really around the world as they listen to some of the issues that we're facing here in the States. Well, thank yeah, you for having us. Yeah, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. And if there's anybody that's got questions, um, about anything that Farm Bureau is doing, they can definitely go to our website, and um, you know, we'll we'll be we'll be there trying to help in any way that we can. Thanks, guys. We'll make sure that information's in our show notes. And thank you for joining us on Two Bees in a Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to our special COVID-19 episode. We really hope you learned a lot about what's going on in the industry. And as Jamie mentioned earlier, we are going to try the best that we can to keep everyone up to date while we hear from beekeepers locally and around the world. We would love to hear from you and what you're up to. So please contact us to let us know if you have a COVID-19 story and anything that's kind of going on in your life right now. We'd love to hear from you via email, social media, whatever you'd really prefer. We really appreciate all of our listeners, and we hope that you're taking precautions to stay safe during this time of uncertainty. Take care. We'd like to give an extra special thank you to the following. To our editors, Shelby Howell and Bailey Carroll, and to our audio engineer, James Weaver. Without their hard work, two bees in a podcast would not be possible. So thank you. For more information and additional resources for today's episode, don't forget to visit the UF IFAS Honeybee Research and Extension Laboratory's website, ufhoneybee.com. Do you have questions you want answered on air? If so, email them to honeybee at ifas.ufl.edu or message us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at UF Honeybee Lab. While there, don't forget to follow us. Thank you for listening to Two Bees in a Podcast.